going to talk a little bit today about encouragement. Are you a lifter or a leaner? Acts chapter 4, here's one of the most endearing and great characters in the book of Acts. His name, Barnabas. And he leads us into one of the greatest subjects in the world, which is the life-giving power of encouragement. How you can become through words and through your life, life-giving to other people. I want to be that kind of a person, and I want to be that kind of a church. The first time we meet old Barney is here in Acts 4. Luke's been writing about how this whole group of new Christians, brand new experience, they've got a little oneness and unity going on in the community, and there's not one needy person among them because people in the body find that needy person, and they give so that everybody has enough. Then Luke tells about an example of this extravagant giving. Verse 36, there was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So notice that Barnabas was a Levite. They were the assistants to the priests. They served as musicians for worship, and they served as doorkeepers in the temple, which we would call security. That's what they did. They had security then as well. You know, churches get crazy people too. Come on. Come on, they, they seem to flock to religion. But Joseph and Barnabas, uh, you know, he's, we, don't forget his name is Joseph, but they're going to call him Barnabas. He could not do that and serve in the temple for most of his life because he had been exiled on the island of Cyprus. Then in the first century, some of those Israelites made their way back to the homeland, and he happened to be one of them. So they call these people Hellenist. That is, he's a Jew. He's a, he's a natural Jew, but he has been birthed or grown up in another country, and he learned to speak Greek there instead of Hebrew. So they're called Hellenists as opposed to Hebrew-speaking Jews. So here goes a little bigotry, a little bit of prejudice and racism among the same race. I mean, they're the same. It'd be like you being an African-American, but you're, you're born in Paris, and you speak French. When you came over, the brothers be listening to you thinking, this is a strange brother. (laughs) I mean, you get the picture. And so they discriminate against you. And you're one of them, but they discriminate against you. You know, it's it's a hard issue anyway. It's not a skin color. It's just a hard issue because it's, it's happening to these people. So we know from Acts 6, there's hostility between the Hellenist and the Hebrew-speaking people who were native-born. In Acts 6, 1, it says, during these days when the disciples were increasing in numbers, the Hellenists complained to these Hebrews that their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. So you can see there's a little bigotry going on, neglect and prejudice and hostility. You're not exactly like me, so I don't like you. You didn't vote Republican, so I won't have anything to do with you. You don't come on our side of the city, so uh, we can't have any fellowship with you. I mean, we are as racist and bigoted to this moment as probably we've ever been. It's probably a little more or less overt, but clearly there. And so it's something that should never be a part of our nature, our character as Christians believer. People that are different from you are not always bad people. You, God loves diversity. Diversity is not division. 
Diversity says if two of us are identical, one of us can go home. I love diversity. You know, you don't marry somebody just like you. God help us. Right? I don't want to marry me. So from, from Barnabas, there's no hostility about this. Although he could have legitimately focused on the injustice of growing up in exile through no fault of his own, he did not. But instead, he devoted himself to building up people who were around him. He's not preoccupied with status, a private parking place, a title, or standing. His constant focus and desire is on the well-being of other people. He wants people to flourish. And here's the first example of it. He sees people in need. There's a lot of persecution going on. He takes what's rightfully his. He sells it, and he gives the money to the church. And the people in this new community that is now called the church, they say to them, says, what do you call somebody like this guy? I mean, Joe doesn't quite do it. So they give Joseph a new name. They say, let's call him Barney, kind of like the dinosaur. I love you, you love me, which means son of encouragement. And this is a phrase they would use to indicate somebody's actual character. They would say, man, it's like he's the child of encouragement. It's like encouragement is the parent that conceived and gave birth to him. It's like he's got encouragement in his genetics. The dude is just a big wad of encouragement. And the phrase I want to talk about to describe that kind of a person this morning is a lifter. In every life, we all need to have lifters. They are the people who stand on the sidelines or in the grandstands, and they cheer watching you run the race of your life. They believe in you. They're realistic about your faults and shortcomings, but they also have a vision of what God made you to be. And when you have some lifters in your life, people who cheer you on, you got a deep sense or feeling that they're for me. They really are for me on my worst day. They breathe life into you and encouragement into you. And some suck you as dry as Dracula. We'll get to them in a minute. When you win, they cheer, just like they won themselves. They rejoice when you rejoice. They mourn when you mourn. They are the living, breathing incarnations of Paul's advice in the book of Romans. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. You can do it, they say to you. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't quit. Lifters, when they tell you they're praying for you, <laughs> it's not a casual statement. It's not a Christian lingo. Yes, brother, we'll pray for you. And it never happens. It's just something we say to be politically correct. But you know when they say it, they're flat praying for you. I mean, they really are. And when you feel defeated or tempted by sin or discouraged by failure, you know that God will use their presence to strengthen you. You know, if you're just around them, somehow God will use that to fill you again with desire to follow Jesus once again and get up, quit sucking your thumb, feeling sorry for yourself, and you don't live with that guilt, shame, and condemnation so prevalent in our world today. Every one of you has to have, or does now have, a lifter in your life. They are God's greatest gift to your life. They make you a better person. They help you to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Lifters. And here's a couple of things you need to do. Identify who are some of the lifters who play the role of Barnabas in your life. Who are they? Think about it. It won't be a crowd, I can assure you. Make sure you get regular contact 
with lifters. Seek them out. They shouldn't have to go find you. Be real intentional about it. You need daily doses of lifter talk. Most of you live in business cubicles or you live otherwhere, and you're getting a truckload of talk every day. But it's usually not the kind of talk that will lift you, encourage you, challenge you. So identify these people. Get around them. Take care of them. Thank them. They may not even know how important they are in your life. And why not become a lifter? You know, ask yourself, are there some people to whom I am a lifter, a breath of life? Who are the people I breathe life into? Because obviously we have what's called leaners. Now, they have a way of dragging you down. When you're around these people, you can feel yourself deflating, descending. You feel life and energy leaving your body. They're joy-deflating people. Oh, and they come to church too. If you got good news, they got a problem with it. If you got a silver lining, they find a cloud in the middle of it. It's an old story. I doubt it ever happened, but one guy had a leaner person in his life called his barber. He goes in for a haircut, and he's excited because he's going to Italy. And his leaner negative barber says, well, the hotels are overrated, the food's overpriced, it's not very good, Italians are very rude to Americans, and it's going to be a lousy time. <laughs> well, Merry Christmas. <laughs> and the guy says, no, it's going to be wonderful. I'm staying at great hotels. I'm eating great restaurants and food. I'm even going to see the Pope. The barber says, no, nah, it's not going to happen. That's never going to happen. He's too busy. You'll never see him. So the guy goes on his trip off to Italy, and he comes back, and he's all fired up. So he goes in and he says, hey, it was a wonderful trip. I stayed at great hotels, ate tremendous food, had a marvelous time with the Italian people, and I had a private audience with the Pope. And the barber, for the first time in his leaner life, is actually impressed. And the guy said, I knelt down and the Pope stuck out his hand and I kissed his ring. And the barber said, what did the Pope say? The guy said, he said, where'd you get that lousy haircut? <laughs> Doesn't really sound like something a pope would say, but I'm a Protestant. What do I know? Well, you have to have some lean. You, you don't have to, but you're going to have leaners in your life. You have people who drag you down, which is why it's all the more important you identify and spend time with lifter people. The next time we see Barnabas is in Acts 9, verse 26. This is the chapter that tells about the conversion of Saul. He's on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians, to put them in jail, and to have some murdered. Jesus appears to him literally, bodily, on the way, blinds him, knocks him to the ground, and speaks to him and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul becomes converted, becomes a major player in the Christian faith. He goes to Damascus, where a guy named Ananias is sent to help him for a while, and Saul starts to preach. So a ministry begins, and then he has to leave. So in verse 26, the time comes for Saul, who's very gifted in ministry, to go to Jerusalem, which is the headquarters of the fledgling church. And Saul comes to Jerusalem and attempts to join up with the disciples and the apostles. But can you imagine the response? Remember, this is the guy who is notorious. He's had Stephen stoned to death. He's threatened believers with death. And now he comes to Jerusalem and says, hey, can I find out who the key believers are and hang out with you? You might want to give that a little bit of thought, huh? 
And they're not real nuts about the idea. They're afraid of him. They don't believe he's a real disciple. He's just covert so he can discover who they are and have them killed. But Barnabas takes him in. And the disciples are arguing. Who's going to sponsor him? Who's going to take the guy home with him? I'm not going to do it. Are you going to do it? So they've got this conversation going on. I'm not going to take him in. No, you take him in, Harry. No, I'm not going to take him in. Let's get Barnabas to take him in. You know, old Barnabas, he'll try anything. So in verse 27, Barnabas takes him in. And he brings him to the apostles and describes first person how on the road to Damascus, he had seen the Lord Jesus who had spoken to him and how Saul had been radically changed and was now speaking boldly in the name of Jesus while he was in Damascus. So Barnabas tried him out and that was enough. The disciples know the character and integrity of Barnabas to such a level, all he has to do is say the word. And when he says, okay, their attitude was, well, we know Barnabas, and if it's good enough for Barnabas, it's good enough for us. So Saul was able then to go in and out among all the key leaders in Jerusalem. He becomes part of the fellowship as he continues to speak boldly in the name of the Lord. Lifters give you a wonderful gift. They believe you can change. My friend Casey Treat, red-headed Casey Treat, was a drug felon in his teenage years and was given the choice by the judge either to go to federal prison for drug sales and use or a discipleship recovery program under an African-American former drill instructor. Casey chose the drill instructor. And remember he stood in this pulpit and told us his first words to Casey were, Big Red, Casey's about 6'3", Big Red, you can change. And you know to everybody in this room, you can change. You can change. God can change anybody. Anybody. You can change. Lifters believe you can change. And they believe through the power of God, you can become a new creation. Old things are passed away. Everything has become new. Lifters don't force who you were yesterday to limit who you can become today. Lifters give you that wonderful gift. Barnabas is willing to take a risk on Paul, but hey, it's not a foolish risk. He's watched this guy. Being Barnabas, a son of encouragement, does not mean you allow, listen, does not mean you allow abusive people to continue abusing you forever in the hopes there's going to be some kind of a magical change. That's not so. It takes discernment to know when and to appropriately believe in people. But the in inclination of a lifter is always to try and believe the best about you. Barnabas says, look at the change in his life, guys. Look what's happened between him and God. Look how he's devoting his life to the gospel. Take it from me. This boy can be trusted. And in verse 28, it says, they do trust him. So here's a good question to consider and think about. What would have happened if Paul had not had a Barnabas? I mean, the whole spread of the gospel to Gentiles, which is pretty much you and me, came from Paul. And what enabled Paul to have entrance into this community, the church, was the willingness of one guy, one lifter, a guy named Barnabas, to believe God could change this character and change his nature. So Paul's acceptance into the church happened because one lifter gave him the wonderful gift of starting over, the gift of a second chance, the gift of a new day, the gift of believing in him. Now, Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19, this is our next contact with old Barney. And remember, now there's persecution going on in the church since Stephen was uh, murdered, and many leave Jerusalem to go to other places. 
So it says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. They spoke the word of God to no one except Jews. Verse 20, but among them were some men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Greeks proclaiming the Lord Jesus. So they're doing a new thing now. They're talking to Gentiles, which in the old covenant that they're kind of coming out of was prohibited. Gentiles were unclean. Don't want to have anything to do with these people. It says the hand of God was on them, these Gentiles, and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. Now, up to this point, the gospel is spread essentially among Jewish people. But now Gentiles are flooding into the church, accepting Jesus, and word of it gets back to Jerusalem. And the question is, how's the church going to respond? Well, pretty much like it responds to everything, bad, bad. Will they rein in the new movement? Will they say, no, 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 the Christian faith has to be restricted to one ethnic group? Or will the faith become a global, universal, cosmic call to all men and women, regardless of race, culture, nationality, or gender? Big, big deal going on here. And who are they going to send to Antioch to investigate this new movement? Well, no-brainer. They send old Barney. Verse 22, news of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And look at the response. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he rejoiced. He's the first one to welcome the Gentiles into the church. When others held back because they felt Gentiles were unclean, Barnabas has God's ear and heart for the people. Uh, I'm sorry, but if people find out you're not a Republican, they probably don't want to associate with you. There are churches geared around Republican. This is bizarre to me, but it's true. And preachers will get in the pulpit and tell you how I voted, or Democrat, or Tea Party, or Independent. And their whole assessment of your life will be what ticket you were on. One of the hardest things for Christian people although it was overcome, was when Nicola Hood ran on a Democrat ticket as a believer. And most Christians are, well, that just can't be. We're, folks, we, we got the IQ of a potato. I, I'm telling you, this is just the dumbest thing I've, I've ever heard in my life. And I took him to some leaders who were very Republican. I said, I want you to meet this fine man. This is a man of character, a man of integrity, a man whose family, father, a man who loved Jesus and is a great witness. And they met him and talked to him and says, well, yeah. We have all kinds of people in this room. I've told you before, I'm unashamed of your problem, okay? Uh, you ain't going to be in leadership. God puts a higher standard on that. But I want you to come because I can't fix anybody. Only God can fix you. This church is not exclusive. This church is inclusive. You take a look at our board. You take a look at our platform. And you take a look at our church. You're going to find Filipino, uh, Nicaraguan, uh, African-American, Caucasian, mixed marriages. You're going to find people from every walk and race of life and culture. And that is the church. That's what it is supposed to be. So I don't care what your problem is now. I mean, you could be riding a strip pole at the men's club. You can be involved in some bad things. You can be living with somebody you're not married to right now. I want you to come. God has no less love for you. I have no less love for you. And listen to this. And this will give you a good chance to leave if you want to. 
Uh, Well, I'll tell you, I I don't care because truth, I'm I'm on side with Jesus and wherever that puts me, fine, I don't care. Everybody didn't like him. The religious people didn't like him. But a church in this state just a month ago had a drama that appeared in the USA Today, newspaper and television, when two gay men that had been, um, had been coming to that church for a number of years and, and liked the church, and they're good people in that church, they're, they're friends of mine, they, they had baby dedication just as we did. And those two gay men had adopted a child and were raising it, and they wanted to dedicate the child to the Lord. Well, the church said, or, or initially said, no, we'll do it in another room. Uh, and then finally, it, I think, got in the media, and they repented changed their mind and dedicated the child. Now, my question to you is, if you think we live in a culture where these are easy decisions and choices, you have no idea. I'll let you walk a mile in my shoes to see if you think this is easy. You can sit there and make a little snap judgment, but the life of people is at stake. That child has done nothing wrong, ever. That child has every right to be dedicated to the Lord. In fact, that's a great, give me the privilege to bless that child. I don't want him, I want that child to have, but Jesus would walk, pick up children, hold them in his arms, ladies' hands, I'm quoting, ladies' hands on them and bless them. Not once did he interview and say, hey, this child, do you have this child out of wedlock? Uh, you married, not married? Uh, you got a lesbian lover? He blessed the children. All right. You need to stretch a little bit to understand God's grace. We're not condoning wrongdoing. We're just simply saying, if you're going to have any impact, here's what we do. We make points. We win points, but we don't make, we don't make change and we don't influence people. You can make a point and make no difference. So what happens in the average church is you're all the cheerleaders, so you're all agreed to the same platform. So when the preacher says that, you shout, wave your hanky, but you make no difference to anything outside. The only shot I've got with those two gay men or lesbian people in here or people who are living together unmarried is I love you unconditionally, whether you change or you don't change, but God can help you to do what is right, and I want to be a facilitator to that, and I'm not embarrassed to be your friend. Jesus was called a friend of publicans, extortioners, and sinners. He was not ashamed to bear their reproach, and he's not ashamed to bear your reproach. So what's your problem? Well, I can't believe they're coming to our church. Well, I'd much rather have them come than you with that attitude. That's a bad attitude. Okay. Now you can vote me out. That's all right. And Acts 15, Barnabas is one of the primary people to go back to Jerusalem and battle in the church for the sake of these Gentiles. He confronts leaders who say Gentiles have to conform to Jewish law in every way. And he's screaming, no, you don't. There's nothing weak in a son of encouragement. He will confront the strongest leaders when he's convinced his right. A lifter is not somebody who agrees all the time. He just rejoices. He's willing to stand up for truth and stand up for people. In Acts 11, verse 23, it says, He rejoiced and he exhorted them all, all the Gentiles, to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were brought to the Lord. And the key word here is exhort in verse 23. It's a word of challenge. Lifters don't let you settle for anything less than spiritual greatness. They love you so much they don't want to let you get distracted. 
Encourage is an interesting word because you can translate it two different ways. It can mean to comfort, that's nice, but it can also mean to challenge, to exhort. So sometimes when you have a lifter in your life, there's a high degree of challenge and sometimes occasional pain. Sometimes there's a confrontation that goes on because they believe in you. They share God's passionate conviction that you don't stop, you don't quit, that you don't let up before you achieve the fullness of life in the kingdom and become all that God made you to be. And that means that's a good confrontation. That's not who you are. You are better than this. You can do better than that. Now get up, quit sucking your thumb, take responsibility, and let's move on. Now that's a lifter. So lifters are comfortable, but they're not always huggy bears. Sometimes there's a little pain in that. So they just say, you can go farther, you can fly higher, you can trust Christ more, you can think deeper, you can love more fully, set the bar higher, take another run at it. That's a lifter. Lifters play that role in your life and mine. Lifters have also mastered the law of inversion. They've learned that the greatest in the kingdom are the servants in the kingdom that the last in the kingdom of God are first in the kingdom. That in the kingdom, those who lose themselves, who invest themselves in others, are the only ones who really find life worth living. Uh, Acts 11, verse 25, old Barnabas has mastered the law of inversion. Barnabas went to to Tarsus to look for his buddy uh, Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. So it was for an entire year. They met with the church, taught a great many people, and it was in Antioch. Disciples were first called Christians, right there. Barnabas remembers Paul. He had stuck up for him in the first place. He knows Paul has great potential. Old Barney is a lifter. He's got a vision for what God can do with this guy named Paul. So he goes back, gets him, takes him under his wing. He's not only going to help new believers in Antioch, he's going to develop this new protege call Paul. Verse 29, the disciples determined that according to their ability, each would send relief to the believers in Judea, and this they did, sending this financial relief by the, uh, to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Notice who's listed first, Barnabas. Acts 12, verse 25, after completing their mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem and brought with them John, whose surname was Mark. Again, Barnabas is the leader. Acts 13, 1, set apart Barnabas and Saul. Again, Barney is number one. Now, when they're on this mission to Cyprus, something changes. And remember, Cyprus is Barnabas' home turf. That's where he's from. But while they're there, Paul's gifts and maturity start to emerge and blossom, and their roles in leadership get reversed. The mantle of leadership now passes over to Barnabas. Think, think, Think about that, huh? And uh, now you're going to see something that could be very deflating to, um, to Barnabas. You say, well, Rick, what are you doing up there? I pushed a button on my iPad, and I went to the twilight zone. <laughs> I have no idea where. I got it. Come on, just hang with me a second. It's coming here. I've got to stay on track. I read all these verses of Scripture. Let me get down here. Here we go. Acts 13. Look what happens. Then Paul and his companions set sail. Barney doesn't even get mentioned. I just read Barnabas, 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 and now Paul and his companions. Now all he's called is a companion. Paul's the leader now, and from here on, Paul is always referred to as first 
So from a human standpoint, you got to admit, this must be terrible career management. Barnabas, you hadn't done a very good job. Your mission was a success. You should have made sure you got credit for it. He should have gotten his name out more prominently on social media. But oh, Barney's a lifter. His life is not about career management. His life is about descending into greatness. It's about what writer Henry Nguyen calls downward mobility in a world obsessed with upward mobility. He could have been jealous. He could have longed for Paul's status, but instead he rejoices in it. His joy is in recognizing and developing somebody else's greatness. Can you do that if somebody suddenly that you've mentored soars way past you? Wow, a lot of folks get a little bit jealous and envious and a little pouty about that, but not a lifter. That's their job. Paul's ministry will become far more visible and more successful than his own. I thought in the days when Casey and I and Ray McCauley traveled the world uh, 30 years ago, uh, for example, Darlene Check was in a rented house with an old beat-up car, didn't have any money, was unknown had never written a song that was sung. She came out of rock and roll, and she was just in the choir. Well, you come a long way, baby. And now look what's happened. Brian Houston had a handlebar mustache and a ponytail that went all the way down behind his bottom and flowery bell-bottom pants when I first met him. And they rented a building with a small but, but nice group. That's when we became friends. Didn't have anything. Didn't own anything. I don't know if he's watching by live stream, but Brian remembers those days, and I remember them. And he is now a global influence. Hillsong churches are all over the world, and God must have figured, I can trust this man with power and with an enormous amount of wealth and generosity and grace in planting churches and helping people. And I can tell you, after knowing this man nearly 30 years, he's never changed. He's as generous, as humble, as kind. Yeah, he lives better. Well, sure. But look what he's done. Now, I could sit back and suck my thumb and say, well, how come that didn't happen to me? Well, you suck. (laughs) But we had a profound impact on their lives, and they said so. And so, hey, whatever role God calls us to play, be glad you can play it. Rejoice, cheer them on if they do better. Don't you think that Mr. Osteen is celebrating his son's achievement that he never had? Yeah, he took it further. Well, that's the idea. That's a good thing. Be a lifter, not a thumb-sucking powder, uh, drinking Maalox and mad that God isn't doing that with you. And so nobody rejoices more than Barnabas. That's a lifter, descending into greatness, nothing petty or small about him. And, you know, he's about something bigger than where he is on the ladder. And boy, do we ever live in a part of the world where people keep trying to climb the ladder. And the higher they go, the more they discover, you know, it means less and less. One more thing about lifters in Acts 13, 13. Paul and his companions set sail from Pathos, came to Persia, and then Pamphylia. John, however, John Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. So John Mark cops out on them and deserts them. Then later on, he decides he wants another chance. Acts 15, verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back, buddy. Let's go and return and visit the believers in every city where we were proclaiming the word of the Lord, and let's go check up and see how they're doing. 
And Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with him, and Paul said, that ain't going to happen. He copped out the little yellow belly chicken, ran away from us. Now, Paul's grouchy. Paul's, Paul's not a soft, lovey, huggy kind of a guy. He just says, no, I don't want the quitter with me. And Barnabas says, Paul, who stood by you when nobody else would? Paul, who believed in you when everybody said you'd never change? How can you deny a second chance to Mark? So Barnabas is a lifter, and he's got great strength. He's arguing with the greatest apostle in the New Testament. Barnabas hadn't seen Jesus face to face. Barnabas hasn't been into the third heaven. Barnabas didn't write three quarters of the New Testament. Paul did, and this little, this little Barney dinosaur is right in his face. Paul. So they have a great disagreement, and they part company. And the Bible doesn't say one of them was right and the other was wrong. So would you not take sides? They just disagreed. Now, at the end of his life, this is Paul now, listen to the end of his life, 2 Timothy 4 verse 11, only Luke is with me. Everybody's left the church. Get Mark, bring him with you, for he's useful in my ministry. So the question begs, how come Mark's there? Same reason Paul's there, because of the life of one lifter named Barnabas. What if Barnabas had given up on Paul? What if Barnabas had given up on Mark? Lifters don't give up on you. And by the way, God doesn't give up on you either. Some of you will give up on God in two minutes. God never gives up on you. You can't live, you can't grow without lifters in your life. They stand with you when you fail, when you blow it. They're the ones that don't run away. So find them, hang out with them, take care of them. And my wife is one of my greatest lifters in my life, a great encouragement. And, I'll, and I tell you, some of you have the same thing. And I, I could name women, Steffi, I know, I know you play that role, and, and so many other women in here play that role too, that I could not possibly name them all. Casey Treat, Brian Houston with Hillsong, Ray McCauley, those are lifters to me. They've always been in my corner, always never had a bad word, always even on the worst times in all my 30 years. These guys are always positive, encouraging, lifters, and I can pick up, I was just talking to Brian a little bit ago, I can pick up the phone, call any one of them on a moment's notice and have help in a second. They're lifters. That's what they do. That doesn't mean they also don't need encouragement too. But that's what they are. I've got some of those people in my life. So if you decide you don't like me, that's no big deal to me. They love me. They believe in me. It won't end my world. We got seven billion people on planet Earth. And if seven of you don't like me, tough. My lifter friends do. Have you got some in your life? You should. And you ought to be one. Lifters are the greatest gift other than Jesus. They're the greatest gift God can give people. So find them, hang out with them, take care of them. Let them know how much they mean to you. And for God's sake, for your sake, and for others' sake, be one. Be an encourager. Be a lifter. Let's be a lifter church, believing the best in people. And they come in broken. They come in diseased. They come in sinful. Let's believe they can be changed. They can be changed. I changed. Some of you have changed. And we're still changing. But let's don't be a guilt, shame, and condemnation Christian fellowship. Let's be a lifter fellowship. And I, I want to tell you that I'm not ashamed to call you brothers, and God's not ashamed to call you brothers and sisters. So I'm not a, I might be ashamed of the behavior of my child or your child one day. You could be ashamed of what you did. I'm ashamed of that, but I'm not ashamed of you. 
I love you. I believe in you. You're capable of better than that. So don't you dare come in here guilty and condemned or whatever. If you had a bad day, you had a bad day. Life goes on. You ever notice that? Life goes on. And when you die, they'll give you an obituary, a few, few sentences in a column that your relative is paid for. And in 30 days, nobody will remember you, except, except somebody that maybe loved you, and life will go on. So enjoy the ride. Don't get too tense. Good, bad things happen to good people. Move on. Move on. It's okay. You're not going to end my world. People come. People go. People like you. People don't like you. People divorce you. People don't divorce you. People steal from you. People uh, cause a bankruptcy. Somebody laid you. It happens. Get that bumper sticker. (laughs) It's in the Greek. It happens. It happens. But don't let it stick on you. Take a shower. Move on. You know, God, God loves you. God is for you. Everything in life changes except His love for you. It never changes. Never. It's unfailing love. So I want you to do me a favor. Just bow your head for a second. You've been a wonderful audience this morning. What a privilege to speak to so many of you. And I want you to live as an encourager. Now listen, sometimes we do need to lean on a lifter. But I don't want to be known as a leaner. I want to be a lifter. But Rick, are you ever down? Do you? Oh, please, is the Pope Catholic? What a question. Of course. But, but my point is, I'm not ever going to stay there. I might visit, but I'm not going to buy real estate and camp in depressed. I'm going to move on. Have you ever been hurt or betrayed or whatever? You ever felt pain? Well, of course. You can't get out of this world. In this world, you're going to have tribulation, Jesus said. But be of good cheer. I've overcome it. So there's nothing too difficult to pass by. God's still with you. If God's still for you, it doesn't matter who leaves you. God is your Jehovah Jireh. God will be a father to the fatherless, a husband to the widow. God will be there for you. And that's the best backup you need. With our heads bowed, let me ask you a quick question. Obvious the challenge is for you to look at your own life and thank a few people who are lifters to you. Maybe it's a home group leader. Maybe it's a personal friend you've developed in one of those small groups. Maybe you're on one of our ministry teams, and somebody on that team has always got a good word for you. Just occasionally thank them. Tell them how much you appreciate. What, they're like uh, high-octane fuel in your tank. They're like heavily caffeinated coffee. They, they, they perk you up because they do. And then determine to be one of those people. You don't, it won't be a lot of people, but you can be a lifter to, there's a lot of sad people, a lot of broken people, a lot of hurting people. Just make sure your presence brings hope and life and encouragement. Jesus never walked into a small group meeting or anywhere and said, well, we're going to have a bad day. Well, things are really out of control. Well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I told a preacher yesterday, I, we had to prepare for a funeral, and I said, do you know, one thing Jesus never did. He never did a funeral. I love that. He would just walk in and say, get up. You want to go to BJ's and have lunch? (laughs) Have you ever thought about that? Never did a funeral. So we have to wing it. (laughs) But if Jesus shows up, I want somebody to say, look, he's moving. (laughs) Because death has to flee. When the, the source of all life shows up, it's going to be a good day. And he's here. 
and He's with you. And He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So cheer up. Whatever you're going through, He's there with you. He saw it before you did, and I guarantee you, He'll help you through it. And the sun will shine again. For more information on Rick Godwin and product available, visit SummitSA.com and click on Bookstore.